Hi, I'm Seth Martin. And I'm Tanner Coleman. We're so excited that today is the Road Commission Sunday. That's right. The Road is what we call our short-term missions ministry here at FaithBridge. And at the end of the service today, we get to commission or send off over 500 students, adults, and families that are headed out across 47 mission trips all over the world. Today marks the culmination of hours of preparation, prayer, training, and discipleship that's been going on all year long. Yeah, it's that process that makes these journeys so meaningful. We believe it is so important to live out the gospel together here at home, growing in our faith before we go out and serve the world, showing them the tangible, real love of Christ. Our children have been participating in the road over the last few years, and so getting to, kind of, to experience it and to be involved in it uh, from from a participant, not just as the parent of a child uh, participating in the road, has been really cool. Learning how to um, be intentional about Bible study as it relates to how we're helping, for instance, learning how to debrief as a team, learning how to grow um, in, for instance, sharing our gospel story or whatever it is. We talk about being the hands and feet of Jesus, and we are, but He is there with us, and His Spirit is in us, and we're going out in the community, and we're participating in the work He's doing. And so I think you get that on the road. You get that sense of we are on mission every time we walk out the door. It's not just when we go to this place or we go down to the food bank. We are on mission because we have the ultimate missionary, Jesus Christ, living inside of us, and He's walking there with us. If we didn't have any training beforehand or anything, and we just got thrown out on the street and said, go tell people about Jesus, it would, it would be a disaster. But with the road, having these trainings and being given all these tools to work with and strategies and just team building and all of that, it really helps because without it, it wouldn't be possible. I think on Fam Jam, because it was a mix of adults and kids that were actually serving, not just leaders, we were able to learn a lot from the adults and their examples. And also the kids on there, most of us had already been on a mission trip, so we were able to kind of like show them how to do some of the stuff. I think we grew close at Fam Jam. But really it was afterwards, like what we were able to take with us, like the armor of God and stuff, and then afterwards we started growing pretty close. I think the road's special because it kind of pushes you out of your comfort zone and forces you to rely on each other and to rely on God uh, in a way that you just, you wouldn't otherwise. Year after year, we see evidence that God works in beautiful, life-changing ways when we respond to His call to go into the world and share the gospel. Thank you to everyone at FaithBridge who makes this ministry possible through your generous support and your prayers. And we're so proud of the growth and commitment we've seen in the teams this year. We cannot wait to see what God is going to do in and through each and every team as they go to make Jesus known. Well, good morning. How are we all doing this morning? Good, good. Uh, my name is Tyler. I'm the high school pastor here at FaithBridge, or as some of your students so affectionately call me, Ty Ty. And if you have one of those students, tell them to stop it. Uh, I, I came to FaithBridge in August, so it's crazy enough I'm approaching a full year of being here. I was working with another ministry for a total of eight years, including summers. Um, some of you are surprised by that because you think I am in high school. Um, but I met Ken Werlein there, and in the most ideal situation, in the middle of a carnival, 
and uh, met him for the, for the first time, and he was, you know, just asking me, he was like, hey, do you want to do this for a while, what you're doing now? And it was actually a question that really that week I had been starting to wonder the answer to myself because I felt the Lord starting to close that chapter, but wasn't really quite sure where the next one was. And so when he asked me that, he's like, hey, do you want to do this for a while? I was like, you know, I honestly, I don't know. And he said, well, great. Uh, if you ever get tired of this, let me know. I work at a place called Faithbridge. Suzanne, and then they walked away and left me in the middle of a carnival by myself. And uh, I was standing there. It's kind of like, do I follow him <laughs> to this bridge? Uh, and, and sure enough, started, got a phone call, began talking with them, and uh, they offered me a job. And I was a you know, 26-year-old single guy, and I was like, I'm down. And you know, they were like, hey, well, take some time. You know, think about it. Pray with your family. Again, I'm a 26-year-old single guy, and so I just kind of looked at my dog, and he was like, yeah, we could, <laughs> like, there's housing and stuff like that to consider, but we can swing that. And, uh, and so, sure enough, I, I, I came to Faithbridge, and can I just tell you guys this? This has been a season of thankfulness for me. Um, the Lord has had provision in my life, and this place has been such a sweet sweet chapter for me. And I'm excited to be here, and I'm excited to be here uh, at Faith Bridge for a while with you guys. And so um, this morning, we're going to be in John chapter 4. If you've got your Bibles, you can pull those out now. If you don't have a Bible, you can just raise your hand. Our ushers are coming down the aisles right now. Uh, and if you do not own a Bible, this is our gift to you. You can take that home, uh, and you can keep that. We just want to tell you that we love you, and we're glad you're here. So if you do not own a Bible, please, please take that home with you. That is yours. So we're going to be, again, in John chapter 4 this morning, talking about the story of Jesus and the woman from Samaria, or Jesus and the woman at the well. And, and what I'll say to you is this. This is a passage that many of us have heard before. For many of us, we've heard it multiple times. And so my, my charge and challenge to you would be that you would ask the Lord this morning to have this scripture fall on you in a fresh way. This is how I like to read his word, um, by asking him to do that, because the word is living and it is active, and it has the, the power and the ability to transform the hearts of those who read it and of those who hear it. So I'm going to read over the scripture this morning, uh, and then I'm going to pray that the Lord would, would teach us and grow us closer to him this morning. Um, so we're going to be starting in verse 7 of John chapter 4. It says this, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father, Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give in him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. 
Lord, we pray this morning that your, uh, that your word, and it is just that, it is your word. It's your words to us. I pray that it would transform us this morning, that we would learn truth about you, who you are, a loving God, who offers us something far greater than what we deserve. So Lord, we know that your word is living and it is active. And I pray that this morning that, uh, that it would show us a little more about you, but that it would ultimately lead to growth within us. Lord, we pray all of these things in your name. Amen. Um, well, as I said, I, I got here in August, and some of you have, have I've gotten to know you, and some of you I haven't. And so I would just say this. I would feel like to, to really get to know me, you have to know more of how I was as a child. And uh, if I could sum it up to you, I was a nightmare. I was a nightmare. Uh, I was crazy. I was hyperactive. I was all over the place. As a matter of fact, I, was, I came home from college one time to look through photo albums, you know, and reminisce on the old times and found a book in my mom's closet called Why Your Child is Hyperactive. <laughs> and uh, the best part of that is that there's a bookmark about a fourth of the way through. So at one point she just gave up and she was like, I don't know. I don't know why. This is my life now. Uh, and I could tell you plenty of stories because great stories come from this. I could tell you about the time that I got my head stuck in the bars at SeaWorld um, because I was trying to get to the seal tank. And the reasoning is there was a movie in the 90s called Andre, and I was a very theatrical kid. And this movie is about a little girl who, who steals a seal from the ocean and uh, keeps it in her bathtub. And then the government, of course, comes and they're like, hey, you can't do that. Like, you can't have a seal in your bathtub. And then she's like, but look, we're best friends. And then the government's like, okay. And she keeps it. And so I was like, I'm going to have my own moment. I'm going to get in the seal tank. Everyone's going to freak out. And then they're going to be like, he can communicate with them. Like they're best friends. Instead, I didn't even make it out of the line for the ride that we were in and got my head stuck in the bar and uh, left my grandmother lathering my head in sunscreen and saying, we will not call the fire department. We will not call the fire department. Uh, I could tell you about my favorite place in the world when I was a kid, which was Kmart. As much of you know, Kmart is a magical place. Uh, and it's not a magical place because it has the original Little Caesars, but it does. And this is back when Little Caesars was like ketchup pizza but I still loved it. Uh, it was a magical place because Kmart was ahead of the curve on ingenuity for their clothing racks. You see, everyone at this point had just been doing the straight bars, right? You hang the clothes on it, you're done. Not Kmart, no. Kmart had circular clothing racks, which means that there's a tiny little hole in the middle of it, just big enough for a seven-year-old to fit in, and hide for long periods of time, days even. And, uh, and every time we would go into Kmart, my mom would be like, hey, we're not going to run the clothes racks, right? And like, no, that would make you very upset, and that would be bad. That's disrespectful. Not going to do it. She's like, we're going to hold on to the basket? Hold on to the basket. Yes, whole time. Uh, and then the automatic doors would open, and it was like women's department, and I would go immediately to a clothing rack, and I would hide in there, and that wasn't the best part. The best part was when she eventually had to quit looking for me and go to customer service and page me over the intercom where everyone could hear me. Tyler, your mom's waiting for you at customer service, and that was the moment where I would bust out of the clothing racks and be like, that's me. <laughs> I did that. But I think the story that really sums up my childhood, uh, and this is much later in life, this is when I graduated, uh, from the second grade to the third grade. This was, 
Of course, third grade is like the first day of the rest of your life. You know what I mean? You establish yourself in third grade. And this was the day, that first day of school, that I was going to do that, right? I was going to let people know that Tyler Riley, the third grader, was here. And uh, I was going to take the opportunity to have, you know, everyone be like, that's the guy, that's our leader, right? And so I am coming to school. I'm walking in with my friend, Randall. I was like, hey, man, just so you know, it's going to go down today. And he's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I have no idea, but it's just gonna, it's gonna happen. So just get ready, prepare yourself, buckle up, Junior, it's coming. And, um, and so sure enough, we're in the classroom and uh, my teacher, my third grade teacher, we'll call her Miss Ferguson, because uh, that was her name. She was going over classroom discipline, okay? How to have an efficient classroom. And she's going over what's called the color chart, right? We all know the color chart. Um, and, and if you don't, it's, it's, the brief explanation is this. Everyone gets a clippy. Okay, everyone starts out with a clippy, and you write your name on the clippy, which is an impossible task already because it's so thin, and they give you a sharpie, and you're in third grade. But you have to do it. You write your name on it. Everyone starts on the purple, okay? If you end the day on the purple, you're good. But if you do something bad, right, a discipline infraction, you then get your clippy moved to the blue, which is a warning, right? You don't do it again or you get your clippy moved to the yellow, which is a phone call home, right? And then if you get your clippy moved to the orange, this was by far the worst one, you would get a phone call home and they would write a letter to your parents and then staple it to the back of your shirt because when you're in third grade or for me throughout my junior year of high school, you have T-Rex arms and you can't get it, right, to take it off. It makes it home to your parents Um, and then If you did something again, you get moved to the red and you go to the principal's office. And I had seen Matilda 42 times and I was not trying to do that. Um, And so for most people, they're like, yeah, levels of discipline, I get it. For me, someone like me, it was a race to the top, right? It was real life Mario Kart and this was Rainbow Road, baby, here we go. Um, But she explains that, she says, hey, you get to the red, principal's office. And I was like, there it is. This is my moment. And I looked at Randall and I was like, and he was like, so I was like, yeah. And uh, puffed out my chest in confidence, which at that time I was a literal sheet of plywood. And, uh, and Ms. Ferguson said, if you get your clipping moved to the red, you're going to the principal's office. And I gathered up the courage and I said, hey. <laughs> I said, hey, look, we don't even care if you move our clippy to magenta, sister. And uh, I had learned the word magenta that week and was really excited to use it in a sentence. And the opportunity presented itself. And, uh, and I was expecting everyone around me to be like, yes, we support and also believe that and affirm you in your decision to say that out loud. Instead, they were silent. No one said anything except for a girl in the front row named Jasmine. And Jasmine sat on the front row because she wanted her clippy to be on the blue the whole time. And she was the only one who said anything and she goes, ooh. She's like, you're gonna get in trouble. And I did, because one small detail that I didn't think through is that my mom was a teacher at the school that I was going to. (laughs) So the color chart doesn't really apply to you in this scenario, right? You make one mistake, you go to your mom's class. And so I did that, I took the walk of shame, I knocked on her door, she opened the door, took one look at me and said, no, and grabbed my hand and started walking me back to the class and she pokes her head in and she's like, hey, Karen, she gets to call her Karen. She was like, hey, Karen, can I speak to you for a moment? 
and we walk outside and my mom says, listen, this is my son whom I love and with whom I am well pleased. That's how I remembered it. <laughs> what she actually said was, this is my son, except for from the hours of eight to four, he's your son and I've got my own class to teach. And then Ms. Ferguson's like, Tyler, just go back inside. And so I did. And I kicked the door open and everyone was giving me a standing ovation. Again, how I remembered it. And uh, I was the kid who defeated the Clippy chart. And I'm walking in and I'm like thanking people. I'm like, hey, David, you've been there for me since day one, bro. First grade, Miss Wilson's class, we were there. And uh, you, Carol, where are you sitting at lunch? Let me know. Hey, Jasmine, you're the worst. Excuse me. <laughs> and... Uh, this was like the moment that I was waiting for, right? This is what I wanted to get. I wanted to get everyone right in on my side to get the attention and to feed off of it. And boy, did I ever. And this, this happened, this pattern of behavior happened all the way through elementary school, through junior high, um, and even through most of high school. Oh boy, is right, yeah. <laughs> and uh, if you're a teacher in the room, it's real oh boy. Uh, but... Man, this, this, this pattern of behavior happened for a long time. And if I'm being 100% honest with you guys, just being real, uh, there was a much deeper issue for me there. I had a, a, a deep and desperate need to be liked and approved of by the people around me. See, sometimes school was great and sometimes school wasn't for me socially. I was an emotional kid, and it made me at times an easy target. And I thought, you know, if I can get people to like me or to approve of me or to laugh at me, then I'll be satisfied and I'll be fulfilled. See, the reality is, is that we all have a thirst within us, and we're going to something to try to quench it. And maybe for you, maybe it's not the need to be liked. Maybe it's not uh, the need to be approved of. Maybe for you, it's, it's the pursuit of money, right? If I can rake in the dollars and really get to the point where I'm not having to worry about that, I'll be satisfied and I'll be completely fulfilled. Maybe it's success. If I can get to this position, if I can get to this title, I'll be satisfied, fulfilled. Maybe for you, it's a search for a significant other. Maybe for you, it's, it's social media, Right? You put every ounce of effort into making people think and perceive you as somebody who has it all together. And you think if they can see me as that and I can keep this up and bring in the likes, I'll be satisfied, I'll be fulfilled. And maybe for you this morning, it's a deeply rooted sin. But the reality is, is that we all turn to something. And when we turn to things that are like this, that are earthly, we find that it gives the facade that, it, that, that we're satisfied for a short while, but in the end, the thirst that we had before returns, and at times, it's greater than it was before. And as we look at John chapter four, we're gonna look to answer two questions from this text. What is Jesus identifying as the problem here, and what is he offering as a solution. But before we do that, we're going to look a little bit at who he's talking to. 
because I believe that Jesus is very intentional about who he chooses to show us these lessons through. So let's look at this woman from Samaria. The first thing that we need to know about her is just that. She is a woman. And in this time, it's not exactly customary for a man to be speaking one-on-one with a woman, especially about spiritual things. In verse 27, it says, his disciples returned, they came back, and they marveled that he was speaking with a woman. They didn't question what he was doing. They knew he was up to something, but it still was not common. The second thing is this. She was a Gentile. And at the very least, we'll say this. Jews and Gentiles did not get along. I'm not going to go into the full history of this, but they didn't get along so much that they wouldn't even share dishes or eating utensils. And they definitely would not share the same vessel to drink from. That's why in verse 11, she says to Jesus, when he asks her for a drink, you have nothing to draw water with. That means that Jesus has every intention of using the same thing that she's using. He is breaking social barriers here. And the third thing that we need to realize about this woman, that she is living in a state of dissatisfaction and emptiness. She's been tossed aside time and time again. Jesus says to her, hey, go call your husband. She's like, I don't have one. He says, I know. You've had five. The one that you're living with now is not your husband. She's been thrown aside over and over and over again. The crazy thing is, we have the privilege to choose what we go to to find satisfaction. She has her life chosen for her. So why does Jesus choose this woman who is a Gentile, who is living and and feeling as if she's purposeless and hopeless, why does he choose her? He chooses her because what he is about to offer, he is offering for all. If he's offering it to this woman, he is offering it to all. Before we, need, before we get there, we need to look at what exactly is the problem. What is he referring to? Because a, a, a word that comes up over and over again is the word thirst. He uses it over and over again. And Jesus clarifies later in the passage, he's not just talking about a physical thirst, right? He's using this well that she's going to, but he's not talking about a, a, a physical thirst. He's talking about a spiritual thirst, He's using a physical thing to show her a spiritual problem that needs a spiritual solution. The problem is this. We are hardwired with this thirst within us and we are going to things over and over that are not going to quench it and are not going to bring about satisfaction or fulfillment. And we know this, right? With all those things, with the things that we talked about, money, success, social media, especially sin, it leaves us in a state where the thirst is greater than it was before. But yet we keep going to it. And the reality is, is that we've seen people who have achieved the pinnacle of earthly achievement, who should be completely satisfied, who reached the American dream of money and success and fame and all of these things, and they're telling us, hey, it's not working. It's not the answer. 
I love movies. <laughs> I loved movies growing up, um, and I still do now. Uh, but one of my favorite actors of all time is Jim Carrey. Okay, he's in a lot of stuff. He's hilarious. Um, and Jim Carrey, as a matter of fact, is the reason why when I got in my first fender bender in a Kroger parking lot, um, which is, I was working at Kroger at the time, which is great. And uh, somebody backed into me and my response was like a glove. My mom didn't think it was funny, uh, but I did at the time. Jim Carrey for me was a guy who was like a legend among legends. And he was at this time, he was involved in a lot of different movies, but there was one movie that really sent him to the top, that propelled him above the rest. And that movie was released in the year 2000, and it's called How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Right? Holiday, Hubawari. Love it. Um, and, and as a matter of fact, it was the number one movie in the box office that year. Blew everything else out of the water. It brought in, listen to this, $260 million in the U.S. alone. Keep in mind, this is the year 2000. Movie ticket prices are way cheaper than they are now. $260 million. It brings in $345 million worldwide. The number one movie in the box office in the year 2000. You're probably thinking, cool, that's great, great achievement. Let me read off some of the other movies that the Grinch surpassed that year. Gladiator. Yeah, already some of you are looking at me angry as if I'm speaking blasphemy. <laughs> X-Men. Probably not into that one as much. Castaway. Wilson. The Patriot. Remember the Titans. Yeah, that one hurts. The Emperor's New Groove. <laughs> and the critically acclaimed high school cheerleading movie, Bring It On. On this list are some of the greatest movies that were ever made. And then bring it on. <laughs> but keep in mind, this is also a Christmas movie. So we're going to watch it year after year after year. Some of you are going to say in November it's okay to start watching. Some of you are going to be like, not till December. I get it's a debate. But it's going to be happening year around, right? So Jim Carrey, a guy who was pretty close to the top, is now cemented as a legend. In fact, IMDb has him rated number one, the number one most successful comedic actor of all time. He is at the top and he is at the pinnacle. And instead of this happy, satisfied, fulfilled person, we see something different happen. He begins acting bizarre. He begins saying bizarre things. He takes on a role in another movie called Man on the Moon where he portrays a comedian named Andy Kaufman. And he gets so into this role that at one point he thinks he's Andy. He is playing this character 24 hours a day to the point where the director's like, hey, no, I need to talk to Jim for a little bit. And people begin to stop laughing and people begin to start worrying. See, he had reached the top, the pinnacle, and everything that he thought was the answer was not. As a matter of fact, we hear that from his own mouth. He reaches a conclusion that I think is beneficial to all of us here. And it is this, and he said this himself, I think everyone should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed so they can see it is not the answer. 
Countless others have strived and reached that pinnacle as well, and they're telling us the same thing. They're reaching the same conclusion. So what we can see from this, in short, the answer, right, for satisfaction, for joy, fulfillment, is not an earthly one. There has to be something more. And friends, there is. And he offers it to this woman from Samaria. So what does he offer to her, this woman who's been tossed aside? Eternal life. Or as it says in verse 10, the gift of God. He says to her in verse 14, the water that I will give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Because that's important. When we look at, at just verse 10 where it says, hey, he offers her eternal life, he's, he can't just be offering her eternal existence. Because for her, what is that going to do? With the state that her soul is in in that moment, what is just living forever going to do? There has to be something more, and Jesus is offering her more. Because when we look in verse 14, again, it says, the water that I will give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So why would, would Jesus use this image of a spring to a woman at a well? Why would he use a spring to describe this gift of God? And there are two characteristics of a spring that directly relate to this gift that he is offering. The first is this, a spring is tapped into or discovered. A spring is tapped into or discovered. I discovered my own spring myself, once again as a child. Um, I was into dinosaurs at the time and my mom got me a dinosaur bone excavation kit, aka a block of sand from Hobby Lobby, and it had uh, little plastic dinosaur bones in it. And they give you a little chisel and everything, you go away and you find it, yay, dinosaur bone. Uh, for me, I was a very impatient child. I'm still at the point today, I will bite straight into a mint because I don't have the patience. Uh, and so I take this thing, this block, and I chunk it on the ground and I get my dinosaur bones and I'm like, that wasn't good enough, right? I need to find real dinosaur bones. And so I grab a shovel from our garage and I start digging until I find a dinosaur bone, and I did. What it actually was, was a public water line. <laughs> and a spring came a-flowing. And I knew in that moment, hey, I've got to just take responsibility for this. I've got to go tell my mom, hey, I did this, uh, and I take responsibility. Whatever consequence you have, I deserve it. Um, so I threw the shovel into the woods, and I ran away, and I never told anybody. As a matter of fact, my mom is here this morning, and she's finding out just like the rest of you are. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, and it's funny, right? This spring, it's tapped into, it's discovered. But put yourself in the position of the Samaritan woman, who for every day, for most believe her entire life, has been coming to this same well, this same source of water. And she gets to the well, and she dips in it, and she has to draw this water to just simply get a drink. And it's the same well over and over and over again every day. Can you imagine her finding a source of new, fresh nourishment? 
What Jesus is offering her here, the first part of this, is new life. This is an intriguing gift for someone like her. It was an intriguing gift for me when I spent my whole school career trying to earn, right? Trying to earn something. And when I realized in high school that the gospel was completely contradictory to that, it flipped it upside down. I thought, you try to earn, you work, you work, you work, and then you earn this standing. What I learned through the gospel was that God saw me in this position because he looked at me through the lens of his son, Jesus Christ. And now instead of working to earn, everything that I do is now an overflow out of thankfulness and love for that gift. For this woman, something new is an intriguing gift. And he's not just offering her eternal life. He is offering her new life, a renewed sense of purpose. The second thing a spring is, is that a spring is living. See, water that's stagnant, it just sits there. There's no movement. There's no life to it. It's stagnant. But a spring, when water is referred to as living, it means that it is moving. It means that it is bubbling. It means that it has life. See, the second part, what Jesus is offering her here, he's not just offering her eternal life, not just offering her new life, but now you can live life to the fullest. Or as Gary M. Burge puts it, it is not simply an experience that changes our state, such as a state of salvation, but it is a dynamic experience that makes a life as living as the water itself. This is his Holy Spirit who is dwelling in the hearts of those who receive this gift. His Holy Spirit. See, the reason why this would be such an intriguing gift to her, a spring in general, is how accessible it is. Again, this is a woman who's coming to the same well over and over and over again. And she's got to reach down in and she's got to draw the water. And it's this work and it's this effort. Traveling forever just to get to it. Having a spring that is accessible, that is right there, is so valuable. We have access to the most nourishing spring known to man. And how often do we forget that and run to other things that we know in the end aren't going to satisfy? So what does this mean for us? Some of you may be sitting there thinking, that's great that he offers it to this, this woman in, in Samaria. What does that have anything to do with me? The realization is this, the same gift, that gift of God, this gift of eternal life, that he's offering this Samaritan woman, Jesus is offering it to you the same. 
this new life, this access to immeasurable joy in his spirit. Because the fruits of the spirit, the spirit that's now dwelling in us, it says in verse 14, in him a spring of life. The fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We have access to that nourishment. And you may still be sitting there and you're thinking, that's great. There is no way this gift is for me. The baggage of sin in my life, with the things that I've done, there's no way that I could, I could ever work to earn that. That is the beauty of the gospel. Again, it flips everything upside down, or as Tim Keller so eloquently puts it, God's salvation does not come in response to a changed life. A changed life comes in response to the salvation offered as a free gift. And I would challenge you this morning to come to the throne of grace, to bring that baggage, to bring all that you are, to give it to him, to receive this gift and watch him change your life and give you purpose. And for those of you in the room who have received this gift, right, who, who, who do have access to this, John 4 exists because we need to be reminded. Because even though we know that all of this is true, we know that a characteristic of the Holy Spirit, a characteristic of God is joy. And we have access to that we tend to forget that we don't have the need to run to these other things for fulfillment, for satisfaction, for joy, because those things can't produce it. It's called the fruits of the spirit, not the fruits of the flesh for a reason. We know the source for quenching a thirst that our nation right now does not know. And not everyone in our world right now knows. We know the source for that. That is why we go. That is why we tell people. That's why we're gonna be sending out teams across the country to other parts of the world because we know the source for quenching that thirst and why wouldn't we go tell? And we're gonna have the opportunity to pray over them and commission them as a church as they get ready to do that this summer, to go and to proclaim this hope that we know and that we have. I'm gonna pray for us this morning and then we'll do that together. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you Thank you, doesn't even seem adequate, but we thank you for that gift. That despite our sin, despite choosing sin over you, despite choosing other things to satisfy us when we know only you truly can, you sent your son to take on the wages of sin in our place. 
Lord, I pray for those in the room this morning that, that, uh, that don't know that gift. I pray that they would come to know that life-changing gift that you offer and they would receive it. And I, I, I pray for those this morning who may be sitting there and they may be saying, you know, I have been running to these things over and over again, these earthly things that I know aren't gonna satisfy. And I've been putting everything I have and all of my worth in them. And I haven't been coming to this spring that has been made so accessible to me. And Lord, I repent of that this morning. Lord, I pray that we would realize that we have the opportunity to come to you daily. And we thank you for that. Lord, we pray all this in your name. Amen.